Get your Bibles out and let's begin to study the scripture. As you know, last week we started a series called Messy Church. And uh, it really is about how church should look more like a family. Families are a little messy. They're not perfect. They're imperfect. And uh, our churches should reflect um, kind of the family values that we should all hold. The way we fight together, the way we wrestle through issues, the way we <laughs> clean up the house. The way I said it last week was, uh, was that, you know, Sunday morning is kind of like the way a family invites people over for dinner. Like if you're brand new here to One Chapel, we kind of cleaned up for you because we wouldn't want you to see how the house usually looks when we live in it, the way we usually live. But you're here, we've cleaned up a little bit. But the truth is behind all of this stuff, there's, there's a bunch of junk. There's a bunch of stuff and it's a little bit messy, but that's the way God designed it. And we should learn how to live in authentic community. And last week's message was titled, um, A Beautiful Mess. So crazy. You know, last week I started with the story about how my son had thrown up on a Saturday night, you know, in bunk beds, right? I, I told that story last week. And uh, guess what happened last night? <laughs> yes, unbelievable. From the top bunk in the middle of the night, he throws up. It's crazy. Anyway, so it's just the way it is. You can never predict when it's going to happen. You can't figure out exactly um, how the mess is going to come, but it's just part of living life together. And my goal for our church, for One Chapel, is that we will live in a way that we love one another deeply, that we will allow for each other's flaws and failures, but train one another, challenge one another, and encourage one another to become the people that God wants us to be. And in order to do that, you've got to put up with a little mess, okay? So we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18. So turn there. We'll start in verse 15. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about how the family fights. When we talk about, when you talk about looking like a family, it's, it's in a family where you're supposed to learn how to fight and fight fair. You're supposed to learn what sharing looks like. You're supposed to learn what, what selflessness looks like. You're, you're supposed to learn the lessons of injustice and justice. Strangely enough, you learn that pretty early on. Have you, ever, have you ever heard one of your kids or have you ever said it yourself, that's not fair? What does your mama say to you? Life's not fair. That's exactly right. Get used to it. It's not fair. You're supposed to learn that in your family. And when you don't, you become adults you start connecting at work, or you start making your own family, you start, you start uh, connecting in a church, and you haven't learned some of the lessons, and you have to learn them. And so we're going to talk today about how the family gets along, and when they fight, when there's an issue, when there's a struggle, what do you do? How do you do it well? All right? So Matthew 18 Verse 15, let's pray before we read it. Father, would you illuminate your word? Would you make it come alive as we read it? Would you speak to us, reveal yourself to us? As we hear and as we read, let the, the light of your word shine upon our path so that we can walk securely and firmly. 
everything you want us to do so we can move from where we are to where you want us to be. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. There's entirely too much letting things go, I think, in our 21st century American church culture. We've sort of uh, embraced the live and let live policy. What right do I have to speak into another person's life? Well, you're part of the family, actually. It's, a, it's not a kingdom concept to just let people make all their own decisions and, and n- never give them feedback. Healthy people get feedback. When you're failing in a sin, when a sin has gripped you, maybe you don't recognize it, maybe you're mistreating others, but you need somebody else to come and to help you and to walk with you and help you figure out how to fix that, how not to ruin your life. Here, Jesus is teaching. He's been teaching a, a whole group of concepts, and he gets to this part in the, in the message, and he's talking about what to do if somebody sins, somebody sins against you. So he says, just between the two of you, go and talk to him. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that you can beat them up. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's, that's not what it says. <laughs> take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That is an Old Testament concept. Uh, um, judgments were determined by two or three witnesses. So he's, he's articulating that. Verse 17 says, If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Let's just pause there and look real quickly at just the starting point for dealing with sin, violation, um, struggle in a family or in a church. By the way, I don't think this just works in the church. I think this principle works in your workplace. It, it works in your individual family. The first thing that Jesus says when you, have a, when you have an issue that comes up, he says, go by yourself. Go by yourself. Don't, don't talk to all your neighbors about it. Don't talk to your small group about it. Don't, don't, don't go to the pastor and say, well, you know, I, I heard the other day that so-and-so was doing such and such. No, it's go by yourself. What, why are we afraid to go and talk to another person about what we think is, is happening in their life or, or we've got a, a, it's a violation against us? Why are we afraid of that? It's, it's not as if we've never failed. It's not, it's not as if there, there are any perfect people. Any perfect people in here? Any, any perfect? Okay, one guy in the back maybe. We'll pray for you. <laughs> there are, none of us are perfect. It shouldn't be a shock that we miss it. Why do we resist somebody coming to us and say, hey, uh, I think you're missing it here. Well, how dare you? <laughs> you don't think I know that? You don't think I know what's going on? You don't think I know the problem? Why are we embarrassed? It's a problem. We think too much of ourselves. 
says go by yourself, and if you'll go quicker, it'll go easier. If you wait a long period of time, guess what happens? It starts festering in your heart. Stuff starts going on. You start thinking poorly, even more poorly of them. There's more relational tension. Things get worse. Go by yourself. Number two, what do you say? Go with a friend. Go with a friend, one or two other people, so that you can establish this. Not for the sake of gossip. The rule here that Jesus gives is don't include anybody else until you've had the initial discussion. Let's just play out the scenario. Maybe you're not sure they're caught in a sin. Maybe you're not sure they're sinning, but you're concerned about them. What would be wrong with going and sitting down over coffee and saying, hey, brother, I'm concerned about you because of this. I've noticed that this is happening in your life. And I wanted to bring it to your, to, to your attention. Is that, is that an issue for you? What's, what's going on? He might say, no. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You might end up at coffee realizing that you've taken an offense to something somebody else did and you projected onto it. If you go by yourself, <laughs> you escape other embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> that person may be offended that you projected onto them, but if they will respond with the same humility with which you go, guess what? That, that brotherhood, that bonding is better, not worse. That's the design. So you go with a friend, and then number three, you, if they don't respond with another friend there who you're talking about it, and we're not talking about bringing a friend to beat up on them. We're not talking about, hey, so we were all talking, and uh, you're an idiot. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not what it is. It's, um, you know, let's bring in some other people to this, because we obviously can't settle it. There's something wrong here, and we need to settle it. We need brothers to come in. And if those brothers then can't settle it, then guess what Jesus says? He says, then tell it to the church. And I think what the implication here is, is tell it to someone in authority. Tell it to some other people who you trust, who have the leadership and the authority to, to even go further, to deal with it in a greater way amongst the community of believers. And then he says, and, and then if they, don't, if they don't respond, then you treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Now, tell me how Jesus treated pagans and tax collectors exactly. <laughs> he had dinner with them. He loved them. Now, he didn't, he wasn't, they weren't his disciples, right? He didn't spend most of his time with them, Okay. It's the, but but he, they weren't influencing him, in other words. Right? So he's not saying you can't, you can't um, associate with these people. But here's, the, and, and the Apostle Paul goes through this. We could take, stop here and take a look at his first letter of Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul is telling them, look, if they keep saying they're brothers or they're believers and they keep being immoral, then you can throw them out of the church. Now, I think at some point, we have to be willing to be able to, to say, okay, this is not allowed here. You can't do this to others, and you can't do this to yourself. But the problem is, here's what the, 
The big problem is it's very difficult for us to figure out how far we should go with that. Here's the biggest, the biggest struggle that we all have is how do we give and receive feedback to one another? How do we give and receive healthy feedback without getting offended? How do we give and receive feedback in a way that let us develop as people? That we begin to develop our character. How do we allow people in? And how do we make, have the courage to speak into somebody's life? Well, I want to go a little bit deeper than Matthew 18 here. I want to go on to some ideas And the ideas are how God's people must function when there's a violation. We'll just read a few verses in in Matthew 18. He says, I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, I've heard that sermon preached over, that verse preached over and over again in sermons and talking about spiritual warfare and binding the enemy and loosing freedom into people's lives. Really, that's not what this, this context is at all. It certainly can be because you have authority as a Christian and all of that. But what this is talking about is being willing to agree with one another. Jesus gave you and I, the community, his community, the people of God, he gave us tremendous power when he said, I want you to agree. I want you to work together. I want you to be willing to get into each other's lives. And I want unity to come alive to you. You know, the name One Chapel is really about our diversity and us being willing to come together under the banner of Christ. That the power of this church is the diversity of people who attend it, who are willing to become one in Christ. I'm not talking about uniformity. I'm talking about unity. I'm talking about coming together and be willing, being willing to be a community and act like a community. So you see here in verse 19, he says, again, I tell you if, you, if you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. When you facilitate the reconciliation of a brother and sister, there's incredible spiritual power there. When you're willing to be open to one another to deal with really difficult issues in your life, guess what happens? Jesus says, you can agree together and you'll see God do amazing things in your life. You can ask anything and you can agree for it and you can see it happen. Why? Because you have brothers and sisters that are working with you and agreeing for it together. Are we talking about uh, cars and money and Riches and material. This this is not even what he's talking about. It's not even close. He's talking about seeing God do what only he can do. Are you tracking with me? Whatever you agree for, God can do in the middle of that community that acts like this. It's pretty cool. I mean, do you get that? You see that? That's a lot cooler than it seems to be right now. It was a lot cooler when I was studying it. Anyway. (laughs) So let's talk about repairing relationships when people get hurt. How do you do it? Repairing relationships, all right? I want to teach you three ideas of kind of sorting out the process, all right? So the first idea is forgiveness. When somebody has a violation, uh, the first thing we have to do is forgive them. 
like Christ forgave us. The second thing we have to do is we have to be willing to reconcile with them. And the third thing we have to do is be willing to enter into an idea called restoration. Laura, do you have that? I want them to see it. <laughs> see, what's happening is when you, get, when you become violated yourself and you've got to work it out with another person, the place you have to start is forgiveness. But forgiveness isn't the whole story. There's, a, there's quite a journey to be walked out. And I find that Christians many times are not interested or willing to go on a journey that's that long. They kind of want to be done with it. It's not really how it works. Healing a hurt is a process. And so we begin step one with, with forgiveness. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14. I'll just put it up on the screen for you. This is just after he teaches his disciples how to pray. And he says, when, he, when you pray, you say this. You say, forgive, our, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and, then he, and then he elaborates on it in the verses after. In verse 14, he says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is mandatory for a healthy heart. At the end of the day, forgiveness is not really about the other person that made the violation. Forgiveness is for the person who was violated. That they will not keep it and take it and become bitter and it destroy them. Unforgiveness and bitterness will destroy a person. God knows that and that's why he makes this mandatory. He says, you've got to get this. You are people of forgiveness. God has forgiven you and you must forgive others. Forgiveness is releasing the person who has hurt us from our judgment to God's perfect judgment, recognizing God's just nature over ours. God has the power and the wisdom to judge them. And even though I'm hurt, even though I've been violated, I, I don't, I'm not going to exact revenge. I'm not going to be the one to make judgment come on them. I don't have to do that. That's God's work. That's God's business. Now, here's the trick. Here's the problem. Forgiveness is a, a decision, but healing is a process. And the reason this is important is because some people have really been violated. And we can't just do a disservice to those who have been violated by just saying, hey, don't you know you're just supposed to forgive them? <laughs> Come on. Think about this. Think about how much we belittle victims when we just throw this verse in their face. But can't you just get over it? You just need to get over it. You know, God won't forgive you unless you forgive them, so just do it. Well... I find that I have to forgive, choose to forgive, and then there's a process that begins to unfold. And I begin to see that I, there's another moment that comes where I have to forgive again. It's like, oh, I got into a situation where that really tender spot in my heart, that wound that I've had there, suddenly reawakened, and I've got to decide to forgive again. 
What a bummer. It happens in marriages. It happens in siblings. It happens in families. And depending on the, the type of violation, if the violation is too great, then, then it's very difficult to go on to the next part of the process. But forgiveness is the thing that saves you from being consumed. You have to walk out their repentance and your repentance in a process. Now, okay, now here's the problem. Here's the problem. How do you measure somebody's repentance? Are they being repentant? Did they stop doing what they said they were going to stop doing? Did you go have the meeting with them? And then they said, okay, yeah, sure, okay, good, all right. And then they, then they violated you again by gossiping or by being mean to you or something other. How, how, like, how, how do you handle that? Because obviously repentance means to turn around and go the other direction, right? That's what repentance is. They did it once, they repent. They do it twice, not repentant. It's over, you're out of here. Is that how it works? I hope that's not how it works for me. No, there's a process here. Repentance can be very difficult for us to measure. You know, it's the hardest thing I do as a pastor. It's the hardest thing I do to help people get from where they are to where God wants them to be because I'm trying to figure out, okay, is he still working in their lives or are they resisting? They're still, they're not perfect. They're still continuing to go, but they're, okay, are they making it? Okay, just give them a little more time. It's okay, just keep walking. I think it takes far longer than any of us are comfortable with. Peter had the same problem. Look at Matthew 18. Look at, look at what he says. Peter starts thinking. You can see the wheels turning. Then Peter came to Jesus in verse 21 and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? He's like, like, okay, okay, I get it, Jesus. All right, I forgive him. But how many times should I go through this process? Like, like maybe like up to, I don't know, seven times? Because that would be a lot. He's like, if it's seven times, all right, maybe I could do that. Can you imagine somebody violating you seven times and forgiving them every time? That's, that's pretty big of me. Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Other translation says 70 times seven. Now, do you think Jesus meant 490 490, you just go and you keep track. You put a calendar up and you start checking. Okay, when they did that, you just keep checking it. Once they get to 490, that's it. That's not what he, that's not what he meant. He's talking about an attitude. He's talking about an openness. He's talking about a willingness to extend forgiveness as you've received it. He's talking about a revelation of how much you've been forgiven so that you can be willing to extend it to another. He's talking about an attitude that says you're going to choose to forgive understanding your own need to repent. You're going to choose to forgive understanding that you must repent as well. Most of the times these things boils these things boil down to something that looks like this. I'm right, they're wrong, and until they admit it, that's it. And what happens what happens? I'm going to hate them or I'm going to I'm going to keep I'm going to push them away. And what happens is the violation in my own heart, the unforgiveness, the anger 
starts taking hold of me. One of my favorite ideas of all time is that it takes the devil two moves to get you. It always takes the devil two moves to get you. The first move is his. Somebody will do something stupid. Somebody will say something mean. Somebody will do something to you. And then the second move is always yours. That's why Jesus said, when people hit you on the cheek, you turn the other. When they ask for your coat, you give them your cloak as well. When, you, when they ask you to go one mile, you go two. He was saying something. You, your second move is, has to be forgiveness. Your second move has to be doing what Jesus did for you and for me. It's the power. The power over the enemy is not taking the bait. One of the best books on this subject is called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. It's a great book. If you want to write it down, it's really good in dealing with that struggle. So let's talk about what forgiveness is not real quick, all right? Forgiveness is not excusing the wrong or denying punishment. It's not excusing it or denying punishment. It's not requiring an individual to become a doormat or a martyr. You don't have to let people walk all over you. That's not what forgiveness is about. It's not based on fairness or apologies. What do you do if they don't apologize? <laughs> my, my wife, my sweet little Amy, she always says to me, she says, it would be so much easier to forgive them if they would just be sorry. <laughs> if, they would just be if they would just be apologetic, then I would feel free to forgive them. But that's not the rule. That's not how it works. That's not the guiding principle here. It's the willingness to extend forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not forgetting. Some violations are so heinous, so horrible, you'll never forget them. They will mark you. Many of you in this room have been through very difficult, trying violations of other people. And I, let me validate your experience. It is a violation, and you still must choose to let God deal with that person rather than you. Surrender your judgment to God. Let God judge them. Let God take care of them. Now, the goal is once you've forgiven them, there's a, you, you move on. But let's talk about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a choice and not a feeling. Sometimes you don't feel like doing it, but it's, it's a decision you make. It's, it's an act of faith toward God. It allows for a response to be determined by him. Forgiveness is a dismissal of debt that releases your resentment. It's yielding your right to extract punishment for the injustice done. And it's transferring the penalty and the determination of the sentence to God. It's a doorway to the next step, which is reconciliation. Because the goal of, of, of forgiveness is moving to the next step, which is reconciliation. So you forgive someone, you release them, but then you, you want to reconcile. Let's talk about what reconciliation is. 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 through 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry 
of reconciliation. I want you to say that together. The ministry of reconciliation. Say it one more time. The ministry of reconciliation. All right? What is that? Verse 19, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Not only are we supposed to be reconciled to God, but we are the ministers of reconciliation and we're supposed to extend that to others. Now, what is reconciliation? How does it work? I want you to think about how reconciliation happens in accounting in the financial books, right? When you do your checkbook, you make sure that the, the two uh, columns come down to the, the same number. <laughs> if the bank has the same number as your checkbook, good. If it's not the same, you got problems. So what you're doing is you're trying to make sure that you're reconciling your statement with the banks, right? Right? Does that make sense? That's how it works. Reconciliation is saying the same thing. Think about that. Reconciliation is saying the same thing. And this is the problem when there's been a violation, when somebody's hurt you, when somebody's sinned, when there's been wounding, is you, you want to be able to say the same thing, but it's very difficult sometimes to get to that place. Because what happens is you've got you to gotta say, well, you did this to me. When they say, no, I didn't. And you say, yes, I, yes, you did. And they say, well, I kind of did that. But then I, what I was doing was this. Well, I don't think that's what you meant to do. I think this is what you meant to do. There's a big process, big argument there. And sometimes it takes a while to get to saying the same thing. But here's the problem. In a relationship, we want our own actions to be measured by our motives. But we often judge others strictly by their behavior. Think about that for a second. We want, when we're in a fight or when we're in some kind of issue with somebody, we're like, well, I didn't mean to do that, as if that really matters. You know, that's what children say. I didn't mean to do that. You still have to take responsibility for doing it. I didn't mean to do it, so I don't have to say I'm sorry. That's what my seven-year-old says. <laughs> really? Because in, in my estimation, you hit him with that bat on the, the head, and now he's laying there. I think you have to be sorry for that. <laughs> I mean, isn't that true? Don't, isn't that how it works? Isn't that how you're supposed to tell him? You, you, you take responsibility for it even though you didn't mean to do it. But typically when it comes to somebody else, and this is exactly how it happens between Ethan and Owen, Owen gets up, you did that on purpose! <laughs> right? He's assigning motive. You did that on purpose! And that's what he's so angry about because you did that on purpose. If it was an accident, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. <laughs> really? Somehow in our lives, we want our actions to be measured by what we feel and what we think and what we wanted to do, but we judge others much more harshly just by their behavior. It's, it, it's, a, it's kind of a mess. 
But reconciliation is something we have to be open to because it's a willingness, now get this, I want you to hear this, it's a willingness to participate in the healing of the other person. It's a willingness to participate in the healing of another person. It's not, see, forgiveness is about you forgiving so you can be healed, but reconciliation is about acknowledging that there's something that needs to happen in that person too. Reconciliation leads to understanding and changed behavior. You want to change the behavior. You want to come together. You want, you want to see eye to eye. It's a process that produces repentance. And I believe we have to always be open to reconciliation because we're called to be ministers of it. We're called to be ministers of reconciling. We're, we're called to be the kind of ministers that help everybody understand that God says this and now we have to say the same thing. If we don't ever say the same thing, then we don't have a relationship with him. Think about that. That's why we, by the way, that's why we say the Eucharist confession. That's why we say the creed. We're, we're agreeing with God. We're saying the same thing he says. We're sinners in need of a savior and he has saved us in him alone. And he gives us the power and strength to love our neighbor as ourselves. So the reconciliation is not a negotiation. It's not, well, I'll give you this and you give me that. It's a willingness to submit to a process of discussion with the intent to understand. Try to understand the other person. <laughs> Two requirements for reconciliation, sadly. You ready? Ready for him? Two requirements. Listening. Bummer. And patience. Listening and patience. But if you're willing to go through that, it's a profound commitment, but if you're willing to go through that, it leads to the next step, which is restoration. Restoration. Look, Galatians 6, verse 1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Everybody say gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So let's just review. Forgiveness is about you not holding judgment over them. Reconciliation is about a process where you journey with them to try to say the same thing so that you can come together. And then restoration is really something that restores the relationship to the way it was or better. Now, here's the deal. It can't always happen. Forgiveness is mandatory. Reconciliation, we got to be open to it. And restoration is even more shaky. And you know why? Now, we should always work to restore others. There's no doubt about that. But when the violation is great, the decision to re-engage with that person is a trusting relationship. It's re-engaging and giving trust to them again. And sometimes that takes a long time. I think this is why Jesus gave the caveat when he was talking about divorce. He said, There's, I don't want you to divorce un 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 unless 
for marital unfaithfulness. Now, why did he say that? I think he knows that trust is the foundation of marriage and it is so hard to get over. Here's what I've seen. It requires a miracle of God to heal the human heart. Good news, good news. <laughs> we know the God who does miracles. Okay, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. He, he's the one who can heal the human heart. But restoration, just in, on the face of it, and the, and the working through, and somebody willing, you can, you can forgive them, and then you can reconcile them. You can both say, yep, that happened, and that wasn't good, and I feel really bad about that. But there may not be a trusting relationship in your future with them. And that's got to be okay. You can't force people. You know why? Because trust is always earned. Put that up there, Laura. Restoration may not be an option because one or more people may not be ready to enter into a trusting relationship, and that's okay because trust is always earned. Jesus earned our trust by going to the cross, by living a sinless life, laying his life down, taking everything upon himself, and then rising from the dead. What I'm trying to help you see is the damage that you can do to relationships if you will not be open. The damage you can do if you insist on your own way. The damage we can do to one another if we violate each other. And I want us to be careful because I want one chapel to be a place where we're willing to enter into forgiveness. We're willing to enter into reconciliation. And yes, we're willing to believe that restoration is always possible. That forgiveness is mandatory. That reconciliation is our calling. And that restoration is always possible. That's what I want us to be. Which means we've got to obey Matthew 18. We've got to be willing to go to people we got to be willing to talk about the hard subjects. we got to be willing to get involved in the mess. we got to be willing to allow the process to unfold in our own lives. And if we will do that, here's what I believe. We will be a family of people that other people will see this family and go, I want to be part of that. I want to belong to that family. By the way, that's what Jesus said. They will know you are my disciples when you have love for each other. When you love each other that way, when you respect each other enough, when you respect those who've been violated, when you don't demand things from them, when you're willing to invest in trust, when you're willing to reconcile even though it's painful, that's attractive to people. They want to be part of that. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. Imagine what it would look like if we could all commit to this. What kind of community we could create? What kind of what kind of gathering and what kind of relationships we could build that were trusting and loving, full of vibrancy? What could God do with us? You may be thinking right now about a person that you need to forgive. I want you to choose to forgive them today. You may be thinking about a person who's violated you and you, 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 you've want, you have forgiven them but today you have to do it again. You may be involved in a relationship where you realize the other person is sinning and you haven't been willing to say anything and today you need courage to go say it. 
not with meanness or legalism, but in love and with grace. I want you to make a decision to do that today. You may need to enter into a reconciliation with someone else. Be willing to have the difficult conversation. I want to encourage you to do that. Don't be fearful. God's spirit, God's presence, his power will go with you as you obey. As you begin to do these things, God will make it clear to you. Will you be willing to live this way? Will you be willing to live in a family where this is what's required and, and yes, it is messy? I want to encourage you. Choose it today. I wonder if you'd just pray as I lead us. Would you pray and commit to Christ your own life? Give him everything, every violation, every experience you've been through, every, every struggle, every relationship. Would you just offer it to him today as I lead you in prayer? Father, thank you for Jesus who is our model, who taught us these things. Forgive us for holding offenses. Forgive us for uh, holding judgment on others. Forgive us, Lord, for being unforgiving. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness of our wrongdoings, all the things that we've failed at. And we ask you to wash over us now, wash over every failure, every sin, every foolish decision, destroying our lives with all kinds of crazy things. Lord, would you help us? Would you forgive us? We, we receive it now. Give us grace, Lord Jesus, to be able to live, to live offering forgiveness to others. I pray that you would give us courage for reconciliation. I pray that you give us faith for restoration. Help us every one of us across this auditorium to live like you want us to live, to be the people of God you're calling us to be, to create a community that looks to you for everything, that is fully surrendered, fully given over to you. We pray this and we offer you our lives. We thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for making us new. We thank you for a fresh start today. In Jesus' name. Amen.